just walking into it going, shrugging and saying, oh, whatever, is not, I'm not doing that. If I win or I don't, I don't care. I, if I don't fight this with everything that I've got, personally, I've failed my era. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you want that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic. This is episode 40, and I'm your host, Mark Spencer. On the 18th of March, 2018, disaster struck a small town in southeastern New South Wales. The town's called Tathra, and it's quite small, only 1,200 residents, and it's in the Bega Valley Shire. A fire started there at 12.30 in the afternoon, and less than six hours later, 69 buildings were destroyed in the town. Amazingly, no one lost their lives. But in the aftermath of that event, one local councillor, who had run as an independent, had had enough. She'd heard then-Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull on the news at the local evacuation centre, quoting an old poem by Dorothea McKellar, saying that Australia always had the worst of it thrown at it, that it was a land of droughts and flooding rains and the land of bushfires, that nature hurls her worst at Australians and has for always and always will and always has. And later that night, this counselor woke with a start at quarter to five with the words ringing in her ears, always will, and she decided that enough was enough, that she'd seen massive changes in that town in the 18 years she'd lived there. And someone needed to speak truth to power to say that, no, the environment is changing, these fires are getting worse, and thousands of people's lives are at risk. That counselor's name was Joe Dodds. And Joe, since I first heard about her a few months ago, has been one of these real lightning rod figures for me. The time I spent at Friends of the Earth last year covering the state election really showed that people really actively followed Joe. And Joe had become quite a leader in this movement because she was just so unafraid to say it like it is, especially in Australia where everyone's quite scared about putting themselves out there. She wasn't afraid to step forward and say what needed to be said and to say it really strongly. So it was an absolute pleasure and honor to be approached by Joe to come on the show. And I was really blown away that she wanted to come on Little Old Climactic and talk about not only what had happened in Tathra, but what is to be done about it. So I hope you're as excited to hear this as I am to bring it to you. But now let's get into this chat with Councillor Joe Dodds. But you're currently a council member on the the Bigger Valley Shire, also known as the Sapphire Coast region yeah. of southeast New South Wales. Yeah. Dairy production's huge. So a lot of dairy farms because we've got such a we've got a really great microclimate because mm-hmm. we come off the back of the Monero Plain and you drop down into the Bega Valley, and then and then you hit the coast. So in that zone, and we're quite a long shire, I think we're about 100 k's long, something like maybe a little bit further, actually. And in that zone, we're, we're much more lush, mostly, than as soon as you cross the border to Victoria, and in some ways to the, to the north as well, but certainly to the west. So mm-hmm. we've got this little sweet spot where we've got really good dairy country, uh, we've also got a big aquifer underneath us and mm. other couple things that I'll have to kill you if I tell you because there are, <laughs> there are secrets <laughs> to why it's su- such a good place to live, particularly in a changing climate. So, yeah, dairy is big and strong and, and traditional. Uh, there's a lot of forestry in our region because most of our shire is composed of state forests and national parks. So that's a big industry. Fisheries was a huge industry, is now much, much less a, a part of that factor. And those are fisheries off the coast or in the rivers? Uh, off the coast, mm-hmm. yeah. We did have a big fish cannery in the mm-hmm. southernmost town of Eden, but that closed probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been a struggle for that town to then, you know, re... So, and, and, you know, that, that battle continues because we do have pretty high unemployment rates, particularly for young people. So mm-hmm. there's still challenges in finding, you know, the right industry mix for the area. But we're hoping that renewables... Well, a lot of us are hoping that renewables will provide some of that in mm-hmm. that transition time because we've got the we've got the perfect storm of every kind 
available. Lots of sun, lots of wind, lots of ocean. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of capacity, plenty yeah. of potential generation. Yeah. So that's that's straight away a really interesting overview of the council from a council person who is very eyes open about climate change and your way of looking forward for that council is is, is amazingly and refresh, refreshingly realistic. You're, you're talking about renewables and them being a way for young well, people I to come forward. And doesn't necessarily mm. mean the whole council's on board with that. So, no. and I should distinguish between what I mm-hmm. think and what I might say in just in my role as an activist versus what council's position is. So they're quite different things mm. at times. So, but you know, it's certainly we'd be interested in having that conversation as a council with any industry that wanted to come to the valley and there's people wanting to do renewables. So we'll, have, we'll have that chat. Yeah. So it might be good sort of up to top here because the previous politicians at the local level we've had on the show have been greens affiliated. And I understand you, you are an independent council person. Before I ran for council, which was not something I ever intended to do. So this, I'm the accidental councillor, the accidental activist. I'm just, I'm just a road crash <laughs> you know, that's, that's working out at the moment. So we it, like those stories. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. So when I when I did decide to run for council, which is about three years ago, then I I knew I could have gone to the Greens locally and said I'm interested. You know, let's chat. And I know some a lot of them personally, but I had a big think about it. And I thought for I I think and at the end of a lot of thinking, I maintain that for local government, because you can, and because it's the level of government closest to people, that you should avoid if you can coming from a party because what are you doing in that case who are you speaking for if you can come up out of your community like i have and speak for your community you don't need a party to do that because it's a much might be harder in the cities to get onto council you might need more money for advertising all that but i came with no money Mm -hmm. barely a background no history in politics and i got in on the first try just through the sweat of driving around to every everything that opened and shut and sticking my nose in and saying, I'm Joe, I'm running for council. That's all all that I did, basically. And I'd written a lot of letters to the paper in the past. So, you know, maybe people were familiar with my name, yep. complaining about the sort of things that... Yeah. yeah, and now I cop the letters <laughs> in the paper <laughs> on, on oh, the Oh, that's recipient. great when the tables flip like that. It's, it's a real learning curve. But it, it proved to me that you can do it as just an individual. Mm. And I think if... What I was wary of was if I'd come in as a party member, then I would have had to do what council needed me to do and stick to all of their rules. I would have had to do what a party wanted me to do and stick to all of their rules. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, who do I turn around and I go, and community. And I thought, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound right to me because community wouldn't have rules for me the way the other two would. So the less that gets in between me and community, it seemed to me that would simplify it and that seemed to me a better road. Mm. It's also a harder road because you haven't got the guidance. I can't go to any group with a hard decision and go, right, what's the position? Tell me what it is. Give me a, you know, a speaking sheet and, and I, off I trot. I can't do that. No. I've got to do my own research. Yep. My own spend thinking. that time with the constituents and have the cups of tea and yep. then synthesize it down to useful information. Because yep. you're going to get the sentiment, but you have to know what you're actually going to do yep. concretely. Uh, I've got this sort of maybe fever dream that, Someday, listeners of this show will be running for office themselves. So, and I love this idea as well of if you're going to run for council for a reason, if you can do it as an independent, you should. Hmm. What were some of the the hurdles that that introduced to you, though, in terms of getting on council? Did you build a volunteer team at all yourself, or yeah. it, how it, did that go? It's going to take more energy. You, you're, you're coming from a dead start. Often, it depends, you know, what a person's background is, but for someone like me, but that's the nice thing. I did come up a dead cold start and I got in on the first attempt. So, hello, everyone, you can do it. You know, if you've got half a mind, stick your hand up because it's really important that we get more diversity in council. That's the other thing. So, the way it's set up now, it is easier if you've got the backing of funding, just the money, you know. The money, I couldn't pay for those big core flute signs. I couldn't afford them. So someone just managed to gab together some old bits of whatever he had lying around, painted it all orange because that was the colour he used to paint his house and then wrote Go, Joe, Go, which was the slogan my boss thought up in the one little meeting I had to brainstorm <laughs> this. And it, and it stuck. All that worked just because it was seat of the pants stuff. But you, you do need people around you. Mm-hmm. you. You do, and I did that. I found some core people who were passionate and said, we'll, we'll be your team 
to get you in, like a campaign team. So my campaign manager was just a friend who had zero experience doing this before, but if the best thing she could do on some days was to pack a really healthy picnic lunch <laughs> to keep me going because I was so tired, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really did hit a few walls on the way through and just come with me to a few meetings, then that was critical that she did that. So just having those few people around you who will join in whatever needs to be done because mm-hmm. there's a million little jobs that need to be done and you're going to have to think on your feet and things will go wrong at the last minute and there was a, so many hurdles and I'm I'm a I'm a pessimist, so think when things go wrong, when I'm trying to achieve something, I tend to want to just go, oh well, that's it, we're done, you know, it's not going to work. <laughs> and I had to come to every one of those and go, not doing it, I'm going to get through this hurdle. So I learnt to walk through brick walls, mm-hmm. but you can make yourself do it. Mm-hmm. And it was just that thing of people. I've I've made a public declaration. People want me to do this. I've made that clear. It's not just me for me. It's me representing a lot of people who've said, yes, we want you to go and do that. So I felt this real, not duty, there was that, but there was also this kind of force behind me, kind of zeitgeist, mm-hmm. a kind of community, just something bigger than me as a single person. That was important because that pushed me through those brick walls and got me over the prickly hedges and, yeah. Fantastic. So with that last sort of question about counsel, you said that, you know, if you do, well, you can come in as an independent and bring something new to counsel. You can bring diversity, which is what we need. What's something you think you bring to counsel now that hasn't been there before or wasn't reflected there before? I don't know that I do bring mm. something that hasn't been there before because I think as a small rural council, we've had good people come through but not always enough to make a difference because we've got nine councillors, so it really depends what the mix is. Mm-hmm. But I think over the years there's, there've been outstanding individuals who've done a good job, and I'm just sad that I didn't really pay attention mm-hmm. to local politics till it annoyed me enough to start looking harder and to recognise what it was. Because, and I I know that's what most people's experience of yeah, local when politics it's probably working, is. Working, it gets no attention, and you only get attention when it's yeah. broken and failing. And it barely makes the media because state and federal get all the you know they saturate everything. They got the money, and and it's it's rarely as newsworthy because mm-hmm. news is no longer so much a regional focus. So going back down that train, I yeah I don't think I'm that exceptional, and nor do I think I'm that good a person for the role. It just happened that. When the time comes that you need to stand up and say something, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are for the role, you need to stand up and say it. And if what you're saying is relevant enough and then carries you to the next point where you say something important, either it's relevant enough to carry you on or it isn't. And, and if it isn't, then you... You'll have got to that point at least. Yeah, so yeah. there's a bit of that too, like, you know, cometh the hour, cometh mm-hmm. the woman, but there's nothing special about me. Oh, maybe I'm a bit chatty. <laughs> but, you know, the, other than being able to stand up and go, okay, I feel like running away and hiding right now, but I'm going to make this speech. And you do it till you've gone, you, you go through the fear and eventually go, oh, well, I can do this. Mm. So a lot of that, just you just step up to what you've got to do. And I think these are times that call for that. Someone has to step up. And if you're the person culturally, yeah, look, culturally we are reticent about identifying ourselves as good, let alone fabulous. Uh, not, I'm not saying that I'm either of those things. I have my foibles, but I'm happy to claim the good stuff too. Mm. But I had to learn to do that. Mm. And learning to do that more publicly is really awkward in this culture. So, it, and that's an ongoing battle. But I, it's, I guess it's not just confluence when it comes to climate change because it's not just tall poppy syndrome, which tends to apply more to women than men mm. is the other thing. And women internalise it, which is the other thing. So it might not even be coming from an external source. You just have absorbed that you're not supposed to do this. But I know there's a lot of people I wish would speak out more who've got great stories and don't they don't feel able for numerous reasons. But tall puppy's just one of those. Mm-hmm. It's just another you know straw on that camel. That yep. On Father Joe, you've got this quote. It's kind of your bio, and it's climate destruction is the biggest issue of this era. For future generations' sake, act now. And that's totally bad. That's really cool to have right there on the bio of a, of a councilwoman. Uh, how long have you had that up there, if you can remember, and where did that come from? Okay, this is an interesting trajectory, because I've been a member of Clean Energy Fraternity, who's a local group in Tathra. 
um, started by a bloke who's a good friend of mine now, Matthew Knott. And he started that in 2006, I think it was. Sorry, was that Clean Energy Fraternity? Fraternity. For Eternity. For Eternity. Like gotcha. forever. Gotcha. Yep. Not not frat bros for clean energy. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> no. Thank you. So it, it started in response to him. There was an extraordinarily hot day, a New Year's Day. So he had a copy of the weather makers. He read that on this day that was 48 degrees. It was, it was in, it, off the scale. And he put the two, I mean, he's a surgeon. So like he's science trained anyway. And he just went, this is unacceptable. What are we going to do? And he called for community members to come down to the beach like a week or two later. I don't know how long to form a human sign saying clean energy fraternity. And our town's got like 1200 residents or so roughly 3000 people turned up. From where? Yeah, everywhere. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Incredible. So it was one of those moments where everyone was, everyone felt that day. Everyone was going, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And everyone this went. This is not normal. Not normal. Mm-hmm. And they noticed. And all they needed was him saying this day, this time. And we formed this huge sign. This group started. So I was a member from day dot, lots, as, as was, you know, 3,000 other people. Well, I don't think they all joined, but, you know, they were there. Yes. And that put climate change kind of to the front of my mind for the first time. I was aware of it. And in fact, my dad's cousin, who's in his 80s, it was his whole career, was ice core sampling in the Antarctic, all that stuff. So I know that it's been studied. It's been – we've been warned – for decades and decades, but it's only in the last couple that we've actually started having a common public conversation about it. So anyway, so 12 years I've, I've been in this group talking about climate change. Two years ago I got onto council and I immediately stopped talking about climate change. That's interesting. Hardly noticed that it was happening, but it felt to me like politics was a very dangerous place to say the words climate change. So mm. I'd internalised... More so than the tall poppy message, I'd internalised that critical assault that's been perpetrated on anyone who wanted to raise that flag and say, I don't feel safe in this heating up, in this changing environment, seeing the things I'm seeing, I don't feel safe. You weren't allowed to have that conversation Mm -hmm. in politics. There are none little signals displayed by other council members of like, oh, I've got my keep cup. Oh, I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm friendly to this entire realm of, of the real things. There's a Greens councillor. She was awesome. She kept saying it, but she had the backing of the Greens and the, the backing and the pushing, you know. Yes. So yep. they're behind going, go in the council and say that. So she was bravely saying things about climate change. The Greens agenda, she was putting it forward and, good on her because mm-hmm. she wasn't getting much traction like even i wasn't really every time she did it i was kind of going that's dangerous i'm with you but that's dangerous that that was the background talk in my head so it it's difficult to put my finger on where whether there was anything else going on in that room that made me feel unsafe i don't think anyone was doing anything or mm-hmm. saying anything in particular but that was just the yep. it, it didn't feel relevant to the room. The status quo ante was not welcome to climate change conversation. Yeah, and we had other things. We had to talk yeah. about the toilets and the roads and, the, yeah. you know, the... the Rates, the, roads and rubbish. There's yep, enough to stuff. keep you busy. And it, yeah. and it just keeps plonking onto the table in front of mm-hmm. you. And it's very literally concrete sometimes. And yeah. other times it's, <laughs> you know, it's you're dealing with libraries and airports and waste infrastructure and there's a lot to do. So it's very easy to be caught up in the day-to-day decisions and never go, but what are we going to do about that enormous thing that's hovering over every single living thing on the planet? When do you, when's the day where you have that conversation? And then I found the day, and that was the day after an enormous bushfire rolled through my town and region and just about wiped me out as well as, you know, wiped out 69 homes in my town and area and... We were just lucky that nobody died. So, and I don't know that I could have had the conversation if there had been deaths or even severe injuries, which there weren't. So, that was the event though that just put the fire literally under me. And I went, What on earth am I doing? I've got this far in speaking out and I've stopped before I've said the most important thing of all to say. And the Prime Minister came. You know, as they do, he came to town like a day or two later and went to the, the centre where everyone was, you know, in refuge and 
hugged people and the media followed him around. And that was all good. He did good things, but then he, he made some comments about climate change. And it was in response to Richard Di Natale having said that it was a climate change-related event, our fire. And the Prime Minister said, now is not the time to politicise a disaster like this. And, and there's an element of truth to that, to that. However, he then said this is the land of, you know, droughts and bushfires and always has been and always will. And it was the always will that suddenly just lit me mm-hmm. because that word, those words meant we're not going to do anything different. Mm-hmm. It always will be like this. And I went, what? So it's not enough that 69 homes. It's not enough that we got away with no deaths. You're just going to let it happen to the next town. Someone finally, there was something that shook up that that moment you're all meant to take in the present after a disaster and actually say, okay, we now need to look forward again. He actually introduced the the future perspective. Mm. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's start talking about the future. And we Mm. need to do something like the future is demanding action right now. Mm. And it was that, uh, what's it, cognitive dissonance of all Mm -hmm. of that, trying to hold all of that. And I literally did wake up in the middle of the night like, well, four in the morning, I went doing and always will. Like, I remember just going doing and in the dark, flipping open my iPad. And by the time the sun had come up, I'd bashed out letters to the paper. I'd just, I'd, I'd just gone, I can't, there's not a minute to spare. That's what I thought. There's not a minute to spare to save the next town. You had a light bulb moment. Yeah. I've been looking for those since I started the show. I always ask, is there a moment in your in your life, oh, perspective <laughs> guests, and you've got them. That's amazing. Yeah, and that was, you know, but what? That's an expensive, mm. a very f- expensive light bulb. Yeah, to sit and I mean, wait for that. The the two years opportunity cost, but then then the fire itself, which, granted, none of us are are crazy enough to think that we, you know, that fire was avertable within the last five, mm. ten years, but that scale of thing. Yeah, but it's crazy to think. Like, we survived. We mm. had time to get out. It, if we think, that, see, the word that keeps coming up, because we, in my role, we have the fire services guys, the Country Fire Authority, and the, sorry, Rural Fire Service, it is in New South Wales, the Country mm-hmm. Fire Authority in Victoria. We have the head guy come in and he gives us a, a briefing at the start of the season, the fire season, and he'll come back in other times when there's critical stuff because he's a major emergency services guy and he keeps using the word unprecedented mm-hmm. they didn't just use it for one fire each one's unprecedented so that means each one is building bigger than the last so if we think what just happened was bad we ain't seen nothing that's what i want to avoid and i don't think we can i don't i don't think we're we're going to get there quick enough but just walking into it going shrugging and saying uh oh, whatever is not, I'm not doing that. If I win or I don't, I don't care. I, if I don't fight this with everything that I've got, personally, I've failed my era. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be a test. <laughs> Turns out it is. That's true of every generation. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not, not to do World War II again. No, no, yeah. no one living through the Cold War was realizing they were going to be in this yeah. ideological struggle yep. between titans. Yep where everything they did reflected on an entire way of living in human organization. Yeah. No and, one and, asked for that. And yet the lessons of that are being tested, you know, just this month in Melbourne again. So, you know, mm-hmm. where the learning rubs off pretty mm-hmm. quick. It we does. Forget. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know if it's reassuring or not, but sometimes it is amazing just to step back and just to actually look at, at humanity and it's like, we, we build amazing things, we do amazing things, but God, we're still very simple and tribal and, and yeah. unevolved. Yeah, yeah. Um, and without, we, we don't work on ourselves constantly, we slip back. That's mm-hmm. the other thing I notice. You've got to, you, you've got to keep pushing to stay. It's a, it's a much higher state of mind mm-hmm. than that tribal and the personal and the, the smaller stuff. And, and some people are, born to that state of mind, the more open they've got future sight. Maybe they read more science fiction when they were young, you know. Maybe they're just those people with the meta views that come more easily. And there's a little bit of me that's good at meta view, but I sink back into my 
distractions and hobbies and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the personal minutiae takes over very easily. But once you've seen it, if you choose to go back... You're going you, back knowingly. You're turning it Knowingly. Back. That's really... And yeah. that's, there's, a moral, there's a moral element to that then. That's right. It's cathartic to a point. But talking about action and what we yeah. can do, we're, we're having you on a couple months out before a pretty momentous time. And any election these days is momentous because we do have a small window and mm. we do need to get a yeah. lot of done quick. So with the New South Wales state election called for March, what are your feelings sort of going into that election season in New South Wales? How are things looking <sighs> at the oh, high level? <laughs> yeah, well... You know a lot more about it than me. <laughs> uh, may, maybe I do and maybe I don't. I it, it, Look, it's this, I guess you're scaling up what's happened to me personally in in my town and in local government. You scale that up and you're now looking at Menindee Lakes, the fish kill that's just happened in the last couple of days where you've got 100-year-old fish. I haven't had that confirmed, but, you know, those are giant fish. They are very old, yeah, like just in their millions dying, and they're just the visible aspect of a dying ecosystem there'll be all kinds of layers under that of microbiomes Mm -hmm. and the rest of it that are disappearing and we're not even paying any attention to because we just look at the big things uh so i think in this in some ways seeing an event like that so close to the election is it's not good but it's vitally important because it makes it really patently obvious to a lot of people what's happening and and that is linked to climate change but it's also linked to the more concrete management of the Murray-Darling uh, Basin water. And I think issues like that are going to... Like, the, the, there's been footage of those two blokes, a farmer and his mate, standing knee-deep holding those ancient fish. They've been crying and, and they're begging for someone to recognise what's happening, what's going on. When you see ordinary people who've been trying to get on with their lives and, and who deal with the climate as part of their work, standing there doing that, that's when that becomes more real for people in the cities who are not as connected maybe to their environment. So I think I'm hoping, I'm praying that people will be more concerned and that that will carry through to the ballot box and that they'll, you know, and I don't need to plug a particular party. I What I want people to do is to approach their local members and ask them what they're going to do about it and tell them what they want done about it if they don't like the answer too. And then if they don't like the answer, go and find someone else and ask what them ask them what they're going to do and then, you know, if you find the right person, vote for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's got to be top of your list because nothing else will, you know, every other problem we've got will get worse if we don't solve this one. So, And it's the personal stories that really make a difference. Like you can prattle on about, you know the the science of it, and you can prattle on about the the big players and the politics, and none of you know people just it's white noise to people getting on with their lives. But when you tell a story like those farmers standing there holding the fish, that's visible, that's that's got individuals involved. And when I've stood up in front of crowds and told them the story of my Tartha experience of standing in front of a fire, of watching it come, knowing it's burning my neighbours' homes because I could see the black plumes coming up out of the forest. The grey is the forest burning, the black is their house. Then more grey, then more black. And going, okay, that's Jan's house. Okay, that's the girl's place. Okay, that's, you know. And going, okay, there's only three places more and then it's us. Counting that. Yeah. And and that's that. I was, that's climate change coming for me, for everyone, one step at a time. I'm getting this privileged position, this view right now of watching it come to take mm-hmm. my house with everything in it. I can see my house across the distance. And there's, and in telling that story and telling the story of what was in my house that I thought I would lose and didn't, but what my friends whose houses were lost did lose and what they did to them, that story stuck in people's... I couldn't believe the people who came up after I spoke about that with tears in their eyes, just mm-hmm. wanting to hug me and wanting to express how, how they felt that, that had hit them. Yeah. And that was often people who were completely across the whole, they knew the whole climate change thing, mm-hmm. but suddenly it had, it had reached Connected. a new level. So it's not just happening in Fiji and it's not just happening in 
you know, the low-lying Bangladesh. It's not just happening at the poles. It's happening, coming to a town near you. And then life is never the same. Like the people whose houses, doesn't matter how good your insurance is, that's the other thing. You can't insure your way out of this. No insurance will get back what you had before the fire. Yeah, excluding the, the priceless things, excluding the, the memories and the photos, but just in terms of monetary value. I think you have to be really careful, again, about being distracted by this argument that if you mm. are a good person and you change your light bulbs to fluorescence and you do all your recycling and you ride your bike everywhere, you can fix this. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. It won't happen. You need to make your politicians stop the fossil fuel industries. Mm-hmm. All right? That, that's the other con that's going on is the people who think they're doing the right thing. Unless they're making their politicians push back against big industry, we can never do it as individuals changing our own behaviours. It is important to do that, but it won't get us over the line. So, uh, you know, I go to Bali every year. Mm-hmm. There's a revelation, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's the, pretty well the only flight I take. I live off-grid, though, so mm-hmm. I'm completely solar at home. Mm-hmm. I reckon I'm offsetting what I need to to do that so I can, I can make my own uh, sums add up mm-hmm. with my footprint. But I thought that was enough, and it isn't. What I need to do is make sure that my superannuation isn't yep. working against me. <laughs> you know, I've been saying to people, make sure you know, the, the biggest investment you have yes. is your house. Make sure your other biggest investment, your super, isn't going to burn that house down because <laughs> it doesn't add up. <laughs> no, it right? doesn't. Not and people all. don't realize where their super's invested. I mm. never thought about it. If it's in fossil fuels, you're burning your house down. Blunt. Yeah, we've got to be. It's it's the time for not pussyfooting. I mean, there, look, I shouldn't say pussyfooting around. It's not everyone can get on board with the conversation I'm having with you because it's too mm. blunt for mm-hmm. a lot of people. So this is a conversation for people at the pointy end, going, "Yeah, yeah I want to, you know, you know, I want to get on this and thrash it." Mm-hmm. But to to bring change more broadly in the community is a much more subtle conversation. Yes, which really is, is a whole other kettle of fish yes. that has to be cooked slowly. <laughs> yes. I, I completely agree with what you're saying about yeah, personal sustainability. We've talked a bit yeah. about it on the show and I've read the articles and it's just empirically true if you add up the facts that personal sustainability does not get us to a, a climate change averted safe climate world. Yep. Um, but what it does do and here my kind of conjecture on this and my working theory is if you do want to ask your politician to do something, if you do want them to front up to big oil and the fossil fuel industry, you do have to show you've got skin in the game. Yeah. That this isn't just something, oh, I read this article and now I'm concerned and now I'm coming to whine to you, local council member, like I do everything else. I've made changes in my life. I've either you know gone off grid or I'm not flying as much or I've mm. done this or I've done that. It doesn't mean you have to give up everything. Like I, mm. I have said on the show before, uh, I'm... I'm not going to fly. I feel bad if I do. I am. I'm going to fly back to New Zealand next year for the first time in six years. I'm saying it here for the first time. I feel like I'm going to fall off in the chairs and die. I'm glad I'm doing it with you. But I'm going to, what I'm doing, I'm at least aware of and I'm thinking about. And, and the things that are detrimental to the planet, I am trying to justify working to counter them. Mm-hmm. And what that does is when you go and speak to your council member or go and speak to your state MP, it says, look, I've, I've already invested in this. I've already put stuff on the line. I've already sacrificed. I'm, I'm not just saying it. I'm living it. And now I'm demanding you do something because I've already done something. Um, is that is that the yeah. lever we've got? Oh, hell to pull? yeah. Like my neighbors who lost their home, the week after, they went and paid the final installment on their off-grid solar system that they just bought that no longer existed Mm -hmm. because it was burnt down by a fire started by the grid and accelerated by climate change. Now, the power that that couple have to go and speak out is immense, and and Jan is doing that. She's speaking out. And they're they're the people, the millions of people now being affected who should be knocking on the door saying, I'd like a word, Mm -hmm. and put a burnt object in front of that politician and say, that's it. That's what's left of my life. Mm-hmm. That's what climate change did to me. This is what I want you to do. It's hard to argue with. It is. Going back to sort of the, the council dynamics, how do you weigh up now with, you know, now you've had this, this moment, this, I'm 
glad your home survived. I don't want to at all speak flippantly about a thing that was traumatic to your town. Now that this has happened and your eyes are fully open and you're on the ground running, how do you balance the the short-term operations of council as a council member with this long-term crusade you're on? Yeah, look, it's a challenge because not everyone had the same experience as me. And there was certainly, there was debate within council about what I'd done in speaking out, that it was inappropriate, that it was offensive to the people who'd lost homes. And I'm happy to acknowledge that it would have been difficult for a lot of those people to have heard me say that so early. And and that's awkward for me because I, I don't want to hurt anyone. But in that moment, I had to make... A decision. Some people might get hurt by this, but if it doesn't get said now, it actually won't get said. And I had to then decide what was more important and saying it was more important, I felt, in the role I was in, in the profile that I had and in the moment and the criticality of that moment from that meta view, it was going to turn on that moment. So I chose to speak. So there's people in council who, who, who would have chosen not to if they'd had that same dilemma, and I honour that because you've got to make that decision personally. For them, for them, it was the right choice. Yeah. So, but it, but it leaves it awkward to now because that notion of well, when is the right time then? Mm-hmm. If now isn't, when is? And and that moment never comes of its own accord. You know, it never arrives in an envelope, and you don't get an email from the climate. Well, I guess that's that's the next mission. I think we've had a bit of space. It's it, we haven't got past the first anniversary of our fire. Uh, and we had a second fire. I haven't mentioned that one yet, but the first fire was March 18. By August, that's winter in Australia, we had a, another fire start in a national park, just rural area, national park um, farmland, and that one took off, got into the national park. It's a really rugged country, really hilly, so it was very difficult to fight, and national parks threw everything at it. They had nearly 20 choppers. I counted about 14 one day, Jeez. just in high rotation, just all day long, 14 helicopters. Imagine what this costs. Mm-hmm. Putting, bucketing water onto this fire to try and suppress it mm-hmm. before the big winds came in spring. Like, we're, we're in winter, and there was a day I drove down from Canberra, and it was snow on the top of the mountain, and I, it was dusk, and I drove through the snow, and I went down the mountain, which is only 10 minutes, and I got to the fire. And I drove past the fire and I just started to cry because I thought it looked like Mordor. Yeah. I've come home to Mordor. And if this is happening in midwinter with snow on the mountain, I can't get my head around what summer could be. And you've seen the charts today Mm. that have just come out. Hurrah, just broken more records with, you know, it's another hottest hottest year. Third hottest in instrument history. Yep. So... it's changed my whole outlook towards summers, towards, I thought it was summers, but once our winter fire happened, I was like, okay, so there's no, there's nowhere safe. No, we live in, in, we've forgotten we live in a dangerous place that we've, well, we don't forget, we haven't realized we live in a very dangerous place. We've made more dangerous. And people were inclined to say that's about living in forests and they forget about the Canberra fires, which were largely grass fires and then suburbs on fire yep. and Black Saturday which happened in 2000 I think that was 2008 was it yeah that that changed the rules again so again that word unprecedented like I, I'd always thought that when a fire came because I live in a forest I thought when the fire comes I'll take safety in town in fact I'll go to the pub in Tathra well that fire went all the way around the pub it burnt houses on all four sides of that pub, well, three actually. So, you know, there went my plan. <laughs> well, if we're going to anthropomorphize nature a little bit and say you're sending us messages, it's like the winter fire was the text to say, hey, I'm not sure if you got my did, call. Yeah. Did you get my earlier call? You haven't rung me back. Yeah. That, hey, but hey, at least I left you the pub. So, thanks. And the pub was critical because it's just been renovated. The guy sold all the pokies to pay for the renovation and created yeah, this fantastic space with local music and music from outside and it's become this really important community hub and then after the fire that's just been the place everybody goes and you know when you walk in and you've had a hard day and 
or you're not coping, you can go to a pub and there'll be someone else there you can, you clock eyes and you go, yeah, it's that kind of day. Can, yeah, these are these are big, big talks. I generally try to have a big, good breakfast before. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're big talks because we have to have, it's, it's so easy to move away from what's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and the... The incidents in themselves are incredibly uncomfortable and, and the backlash is uncomfortable and the conversations you've got to have after all that are uncomfortable. But if you give yourself too much ease and you move away, then it, you don't want to go back to that. So you've got to, I find, I've got to just keep pushing and go, I'm going to talk about it again and again and again until I can't anymore because to each of us who's got that story, you've got to, you've got to tell it. Mm, that's right. So the, the, one of the reasons, basically, I started this is because I was finding it hard to find conversations mm. at, at this far up the stick at the pointy end because mm. you know, I find it hard to introduce the topic into conversation because I immediately want to jump to. So how, how do you reckon society will be drastically different in 30 years yeah. when we haven't fully addressed this because we're probably all a bit too lazy and sort of inured to capitalism to really change our lives? And what's a particular thing that, that you enjoy now or, or like a an activity or a hobby or something that you like that if you think about it in terms of climate change, how will that be different? Or like, what do you think about for the future in any kind of way? Yeah, two things kind of immediate. Like one of the things I, I've always done is walk a lot. So around Tarthra, around my home, walking in the forest, around Tarthra, I've got, I don't know, there's 10 or 15 different walks that I might choose on any given day. And that's my break from all the other shit. Now... Every single one of those walks is blackened. Mm. So it's like even the places that I would go, which were all nature places, it was all to go in, in a place where there weren't many people to walk along a trail, and every single one of them is blackened. And I had this moment where someone who's a, an incredible optimist who's been trying to sort of G me up through some of this, and we were on the phone to each other, and she said, what are you doing for yourself today? Because I was feeling pretty bad, and she, she knew that. And she said, what are you doing? So I said, I'm going for a walk. And she said, oh, that's a good idea. Bathe in the green, you know, the, the, the green, whatever the expression is. And, and I had to say, mate, where I am, it's all black. It's black. And she went, oh, yeah. I feel all like right. Frodo going through Mordor on my exactly. walk. Exactly. Yeah. Every, everything is Mordor. So in that sense, that's already happened. And, and when that happens, one of the other things is that your landmarks all disappear. Mm not just in the built environment, but the natural environment. I, I knew my way along my road, three kilometres of road. I knew where I was at every moment because there were landmark trees and landmark, mm-hmm. you know, there's an orchid there, there's a big tree there, there's a fallen one there, all gone. So it took me three months of driving before I knew where I was on my road anymore because yeah. it was so changed. That was the corner where the gum tree always was, but That's what it is I now. don't know what corner that is anymore. Well, what do we call all these corners? They're all just black dead tree corner now. <laughs> And all the big ones fell down or they got chopped down by the because they were on fire, they chopped them down. So, you know, there's a whole rewriting of my landscape, built and natural. That That's one big change. The other thing I like doing is going to the beach. And it, it's one of those things, I, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me that with rising sea levels, the beaches will all go. Like, that's has to. I don't know where they would go otherwise because... The sea will be where the beach was. So. That's right. No, the, the beaches will be seabed and the new beach will be a road. Yeah, so exactly. We all have coastal roads. We all yeah, want the going road through to be the as cafe close that you used to go to. Yeah. So we're, we're picturing water. these futures for ourselves, and that's what keeps me awake at night is I picture myself getting old. And then where will I be? What will I be doing? Every one of those pictures I can come up with is impacted by climate change. Every single one of them cycles, for me, back to, well, I won't be living in that nice place by the beach because that'll be underwater. I won't even be going to that beach because that beach, as formed currently, won't exist because beaches take a long time to form. We're suddenly shifting Mm -hmm. all of that to a different place. So a nation which prides itself on being a beach nation is not having a conversation about that aspect. We talk about the rising sea levels hitting houses and things like that's the only issue. And I'm watching going, yeah, all right, well, that's private property being impacted. And, of course, that's going to be a massive tragedy and shift for those people. I get that. But mm-hmm. we're not even having that next conversation about what We're, we're that skipping whole... step one to go to yeah. step two. It's like what about yeah. what's between the beach and yeah. the house? We're going to lose the, the foreshore. The whole thing with the board shorts and the, you know, yeah. the people in the life-saving the gear. So much of what we think we are is connected to those places, and they won't be there 
Yeah. I don't know what will be there. I don't know what can be because I haven't seen what happens when a, an environment that's been a liminal environment that's been fairly static for tens of thousands of years suddenly isn't. It, it kind of becomes a, a lot of those areas will be lagoon-esque because mm. the, it'll get up the beach, down onto the road, and those mm. are lower areas. Mm. So you're going to have like what used to be roadway, basically. And on all the bits that weren't gently sloping up beach, will be eroding. It'll be this jagged kind of like yep. in the process of eating like a cookie kind yep. of yep. landscape. The soft, the soft bits won't be the liminal soft bits. And as a councillor, that's something we're charged with because we're in charge of place in a way that state and federal government aren't quite. So I've seen the flood maps and I've seen, you know, the, the, this stuff gets put in front of us. We don't have the conversation. How are we doing this with, without our heads exploding? I don't know. But we, <laughs> we're able to look at these maps and kind of start addressing these problems without ever saying the words climate change. But I don't know. We'll get there. You're like choir directors of cognitive dissonance. Yes, like, exactly. It's, just, it's yeah. master class. <laughs> like. Can I just acknowledge one other group that's, that's given me heart, because I think I want to end with some optimism, and that's the Schools for Climate Change. Mm. When I saw that start, I was just ecstatic. And I happened to be in Castlemaine, which is where two of the girls are from. It was just, yeah. again, the synchronicity has just been blowing me away. Because I'd, I'd spoken to my niece and nephew, who were 20, 21 and 19, after I'd been speaking out about climate change. And, and they'd heard me give my big spiel and they'd seen the scary photos and everything. And I said afterwards to my nephew, what do you, what do you reckon? Like, just talk to me straight. How am I doing? Is the message effective? And he said, you know what, Joe? I've got so much on my plate, like young people have. It's just one more bad thing. And I went, oh, And it really, because up till then I'd been thinking... When are young people going to step up? Every meeting I go to, it's full of grey heads. They're all concerned, but there's no young people there. When are they going to step up? And then when when my nephew said that to me, I went, I'm thinking about this the wrong way. They didn't cause the problem. They've, they're going through all the shit that I went through when I was that age, and it's incredibly hard, and it's even harder now. The, the economy's harder. We've got social media to deal with. There's just so much on their plates. And then we're saying, oh, by the way, we've used up everything. Mm. It was a shit the future deal. is closed. Come yeah. back later. What are you going to do about it? And I thought, that's not fair. I, I'm not going to ask a young person ever again to do anything about climate change. If they want to and they can use my help, I help. But <laughs> I, I'm not putting that responsibility in front of young people. And then, and then schools for climate yeah. just blew up and I, I just was ecstatic. I, I, I drove around Castlemaine one day looking for the girls because they were sitting outside someone's office. So it was on social media. I couldn't find which office. And, so I, I just wanted to tell them, you are so beautiful and, and strong and to give them all the encouragement I could because, again, when that message comes from young people mm-hmm. saying, how dare you steal from us our futures? My future's not that long. You know, I'm 55 or whatever, and so I can envisage kind of just escaping below the bit where it all goes pear-shaped. But uh, to be a young person now and look at that future... Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, it's not fair. Follow along the back of that march that we had in Melbourne. Started yeah. by like all the, the you know, the older people I knew who were all the wardens and everything and just just that vibe in the air like yeah, that you know, The young people were right and yeah. that they knew the truth. Yeah. And that all we had to do was follow what the young people were saying and we would it would be better yeah that was really refreshing <laughs> look i think if you if you in, I, i've said this about council if you just resourced a group of year 11 students and you said here's an issue here's the resources we've got let us know if you need any more you make a decision they'll make the right decision yeah and they'll have less biases and they'll have less you know, there's less external influence. Yeah, learned less biases, yeah. They've There's... just learned all the stuff you need to know. Yeah. They're right for it. I think we could do really well listening to young people warning us because they've, they've got the science fresh in their heads. Mm-hmm. They've, yeah, they're got not the so coloured. capacity without yeah. as much of the human baggage. Yeah, what, what, what are you, your hopes for the new year, Joe? A couple of concrete things in council. Mm-hmm. So I want us to at least get to a vote on going 100% renewable, having that as our goal in the mm-hmm. Shire. So it doesn't mean that we have to do it. Like people get scared about the whole goal thing. It's not. It's a target. And I think we need to set that. And I think I'm living in a place that has a good chance of both setting it 
and Tartha has got so many runs on the board in terms of raising awareness, in terms of already getting uh, solar panels onto every community building. We built a solar power station for the sewage treatment farm, community funds. Like we we know how to do it, and then we got the fire. So we're we're the township that needs to to take that to the rest of the shire and say, hey, how about we do this? Yeah. How about we aim for a hundred percent? It's not just for show that you're doing more; it's for survival. Yeah. So I yeah that and that makes a good concrete goal that I think we can actually achieve and and then set about doing it. So I think we're we're in a good position, and I I think there's enough goodwill plus the fires sort of moving back in 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 our coping. There's there's you know not to underplay that there'll be years more of rebuilding, mm-hmm. but we can we can come through this stronger if we acknowledge what happened and work with it, not against it, and say, all right, if these are the conditions, this is how we progress. Fantastic, Joe. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so yeah, much you for too, your Mark. time. Yeah. And you all the best. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. And that was the one and only Joe Dodds. It was such a pleasure to get to speak to her. I'm so grateful she reached out and I hope we can have her back on again soon. We've gotten so lucky lately with the amazing people reaching out to us and the great opportunities we've had, and we're so excited about what we're bringing you in the next few weeks. There are so many more amazing stories to come this year, and I can't wait to bring them to your ears. And if you want to hear even more amazing stories, I highly recommend you come along to the Sustainable Living Festival in Melbourne, happening on the 9th and 10th of February, where I'll be doing my first live event with some past and future guests right there in the main tent of the festival. But if you are there, please feel free to come up and say hi. It would be great to meet you. Thanks again to our guest this week, Joe Dodds, and thanks to the whole team. Producer, Hazel Fidicaro, Editor, Rich Bowden. Composer, Greg Grassi. Designer, Abigail Hawkins. Correspondents, Georgia Scheel and Maxine Baisley. And Senior Advisor, Gretchen Miller. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.